0: great song right there could you do me a favor and go get me a bottle of water thank you all right take our bibles this morning to mark chapter number 11 mark chapter 11 and we're going to be in chapter 12 i've made these statements before i'm going to make the statement again the bible the words of the bible they are inspired by god god breathed they are preserved they're inspired. But the chapter marks are not. They were added by someone else later on. And uh, this is one of those passages that we're going to read today where technically chapter 12 begins, it's continuing with a conversation that Jesus is having in chapter 11. And sometimes what we think is you get to a new chapter it's like reading a book, it's a totally new thought, but just a continuation of his conversation with the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. This morning, we're going to read from chapter 11, verse 27, through chapter 12, verse number 12. And uh, we will dive in, and we're going to see some good stuff this morning. And just hang in there for the first little bit, and we'll get there. Chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible says, And they come again to Jerusalem. Now, let's put this in context real quick. The triumphal entry happened on Sunday. It's seven days before Passover. The triumphal entry happens Monday he goes into and Sunday he went into the temple. He saw what was taking place. Monday he goes back into the temple and he turns the tables over on Monday, and he wreaks havoc in the temple. Then you've got Tuesday. So we're on Tuesday, Lord's final week. Look at verse 27, and that's where we're at. It says, "And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests, the scribes." And the elders. So last time he was in there the day before, he turns over all the tables and causes a scene in the temple. So now the next day he's back in the temple, and the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders are headed towards him. Let's keep on reading. It says, And they and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus' question is found there in verse 30. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did he not believe him? But if we say of men, they feared the people, For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Chapter 12, verse 1. And he began so to speak unto them by parables. Who is he speaking to? The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. This parable is for them. This is a conversation continuing on in the temple. A certain man planted a vineyard and set an hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent them another servant, and at him they cast stones, and wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully, handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have ye not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. I thank you for this truth found in your word. Help us this morning. Get what you have for us. We love you. We need you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, by the time we're done, you're going to have a very good understanding of what that parable is that we just read. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And in fact, he gives them two parables, really, using some Old Testament scripture, which we'll look at in just a little bit. We see that Jesus comes back into the temple and they ask him a question. I thought it would be fun. I'm going to ask you today a couple questions. If you know the answers to these questions, just say it out loud, alright? So here's the first question. If a plane crashes on the border between the United States and Canada, where do they bury the survivors? Some of you are really thinking they don't bury survivors. Good thinking by some of you. How many of you knew that right away or you're still trying to figure out a few of you knew that? Okay, good. That's good. Don't And be honest, the Lord knows your heart this morning, okay? All right, let's see how you do with this one. Some months have 31 days, others have 30 days. How many have 28 days? All of them have 28 days. Some of you are thinking of February, but yes, all of them have 28 days. You see, it's kind of a trick question just a little bit, right? Here's a good one. So a man and a son were in, well, this it isn't good what happens, but here's the question. So a man and a son were in an automobile accident. The man died on the way to the hospital, but the boy was rushed into surgery. The emergency room surgeon said, I can't operate because this is my son. How is that possible? It's his mom. All right, last one. Here we go. Listen real closely. There are three important rooms in a house. The first one is filled with money. The second is filled with important papers. The third one is filled with jewelry. And one day, all of these rooms burst into fire. Which room did the policeman put the fire out first? Which room? Yeah, policemen don't put out fires. Good, someone picked up on that. It's good. So, how many of you are still kind of lost and don't know what's going on? Well, the real blonde people in the room, please raise your hand. Did, Allison, did you get what I was saying? No, she's no, she didn't. She's back there like, was he preaching or what's he doing back there? Uh, anyways, I'm just teasing. Allison, I've only got a few more months to pick on you. So, and, uh, but I did see the blonde is starting to grow up and there's a little bit of gray starting to come in. So, there is wisdom growing in. So, that's good. So, Oh, it was white. You said white, not gray. That's right. You said that, not me. So let's get back to the message. I talked on Wednesday night about our words and being words that edify and build up. And so i got to watch what I say sometimes. So as we look at our text here this morning, we dive in. We see that Jesus goes back into the temple. And really what the scribes and the chief priests are doing is they come up to them, Their Their question really is this. Who do you think you are? to come in here and do what you just did yesterday? That's their question. That's literally what they're asking him. Because let's really be honest. The courtyard of the Gentiles here, if people were extorting money, I am sure somewhere in between there, the chief priests and the scribes, they were making a little money off of everything as well. Because they allowed all this to take place. They're the religious leaders of the day, and they come to Jesus... Why did you do what you did, and who do you think you are? And Jesus is very wise. He answers not a fool according to their folly. He says, I'm going to ask you a question. And when you answer my question, then I will answer the question you ask me. Jesus says, so the baptism of John the Baptist, was it of God or was it of men? Now, the chief priests and the scribes there and the elders thought on this because they believed it was of men but the other problem that they had is the people like John the people really believed that John was a prophet so if they were to say out loud that John his baptism was of men the people would have been upset and they would have feared the people these religious leaders but the religious leaders knew that if they said it was of God then they would have admitted that John was a prophet of God So either way, they felt like they were going to lose here. So what do they do? They say in verse number 33, and they answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answering said unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. You're not going to answer my question. I'm not going to answer yours. Now we could spend all day today talking about these religious people and their hypocrisies and their fear of the people and their lack of doing the job God wanted them to do, but I really don't care to do that this morning. I could do that. Or I could take some time and go into the parable this morning and look at the Lord of the vineyard. Instead of talking about the attitudes of the religious people, I want to talk about the Lord of the vineyard this morning and his goodness. And we're, we'll look at some things today. We're going to look at this parable and break it down, but before we do that, in your notes, you have the main characters of this parable broken down for you. So as you look at your notes, I want you to look, I'm going to explain to you who's who in this parable because it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So as you look at this parable, the vineyard is referring to Israel. The owner of the vineyard, the man who planted the vineyard, is God. You see the husbandman. The one who's supposed to take care of the vineyard. That is the religious leaders of the day. The scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, that's them. The servants that are mentioned in this parable, I'm going to break it down further when we go through. The servants mentioned here are the prophets that God sent. So Old Testament, there were times that God sent judges to help the children of Israel. There were times he had prophets. I think of Isaiah, Jeremiah. We think of Ezekiel. John the Baptist was the last prophet that they killed. You see how the religious leaders treated the prophets. You'll see that in our text. You'll see that the owner of the vineyard had a son that was well-beloved, and he sent that son. That son that was sent is referring to Jesus Christ. As you look further here, you'll see that in verse 10 and 11 it switches To another type of parable Or metaphor That comes from Psalm 118 The cornerstone The chief cornerstone Is Jesus Christ The builders Are the religious leaders Of that day Now if you look with me We're going to go through and break this all down And get some good stuff here in just a moment Look at verse number 12 from chapter 12 And they sought to lay hold on him but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. So the parable that Jesus just gave was to them. So we're going to take some time this morning, and we're going to look at this parable. And we're going to look at the metaphor used at the end there in verse 10 and 11, and we're going to tie it all together. Now, we understand that the religious leaders of that day were corrupt they were wicked. Let's be honest. Really, I look at the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and I look at our politicians in 2022, and there's really not much difference between the two. If we're being honest today. And we'll look at that, but as Christians today in the room, and those, maybe there's someone here not saved, there's a message for you in this parable. By the time we're done, yes, we're going to look and see what these religious leaders did and where they're headed. But really what I want us to focus on this morning is the Lord of the vineyard. That's what I want us to focus in on. As we look at this, look at verse number 1, we're going to dive in this morning. It says, And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard, and set a hedge about it, and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went... Into a far country As we look here today We see verse number one Describes a man who plants A vineyard This man plants a vineyard He puts a hedge around this vineyard Why? To protect it From the wild animals coming in I remember when we lived here On the church property One of the first years we lived here The old pastor had these wooden boxes They kind of made in the backyard Where he grew uh, He had a garden so what did we do we planted stuff to grow a garden we didn't put anything up around it because we thought the fence around the yard was big enough to take care of things it wasn't high enough so the stuff that we grew some animals came in and ate it and it disappeared there's no point in growing a vineyard or fruit or vegetables well maybe some people do it just for the fun but most of the time you do it because you're going to eat it you know albert do you grow the stuff in your yard so you can eat it or do you just let it sit out there and rot you eat it. That's why you do it, right? That's You water it. You take care of it. You spend, do all the work on it. It's to eat it. So this man plants a vineyard. He puts, as we look here, a hedge around the vineyard to protect it. He digs a wine fat. Now for us, that's like a depression to collect the juice that would be harvested from the grapes. And then he builds a tower so that a watchman can keep an eye to keep protection on this vineyard now let's put this into perspective and then we'll dive into some thoughts the bible tells us in isaiah chapter number five verse one through seven it talks about israel what could and that's verse number four do you have verse one through seven in your notes you have verse one through seven and it says there now will i sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard my well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vines and built a tower in the midst of it and also a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me And my vineyard, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked, that it should bring forth grapes, brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that the rain no more upon it. Look at this next verse. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry. As we look at this parable Here in our text today The man in this vineyard The lord of the vineyard The owner of this vineyard is God The vineyard being referred to by Jesus Is Israel Now let's put this in context of where they're at They're in the courtyard of the Gentiles By the temple And the backdrop would be the Mount of Olives In the Mount of Olives There would be plenty of vineyards over there Lots of grapes in that area. So as we look at this and we think on this, I want you to see some things. Number one, I want to talk about the Lord of the vineyard. I want you to see God's goodness this morning. God's goodness. We look at Israel here this morning. We look at what the Bible says. This man goes and he plants a vineyard. And this man wants his vineyard to grow and to produce all the best fruit in all the world. And what this man does is he goes and he takes a hedge and he protects that vineyard. He puts up a wall or a hedge there so that people cannot get in or animals cannot get in. Not only does he do that, he builds that area so the juice can be produced like it's supposed to. He puts a watchtower there. He takes care of his vineyard. He loves that vineyard, he wants that vineyard to grow. And what we see when we think about that, think about the children of Israel. God brings them out of Egypt. And Egypt was a hard time on them. And he brings them out. It takes a long time for them to get out of Egypt to the promised land. And it could have gotten a lot faster if they would have just done it God's way. But God raises them up in the promised land. He plants them there. They flourish there. He protects them there. He watches his children. He takes care of them even in the wilderness. He had a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night. He watched after his children. God cared about them. God did everything he could. And in fact, Isaiah 5, verse number 4 that we read a few minutes ago, it says, What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it? God's saying, I've done everything possible. I've done everything for you. I've given you everything you need so that you could be fruitful and so that you could multiply and do what I want you to do. But when I look, that you should be bringing forth grapes. You're bringing forth wild grapes. Unedible fruit. The Lord of the harvest, God's goodness this morning, God looked at Israel and said, I've given you everything. There's nothing more that you need. And yet it wasn't enough. So there would be times where Israel would get away from God. And what would God do? He would punish them, but he still loved them. And he would send them judges. And those judges would come and tell the people the problems, help get them right back where they need to be with God until they started their vicious cycle all over again. And later on, God would raise up prophets. And those prophets, when the children of Israel, in seasons when they would get away from God, those prophets would rise up and they would declare, thus saith the Lord, and they would try and get the people to be fruitful again. What we see this morning is the Lord of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard, his goodness. And I know this morning I want to remind you of a fact the church has not replaced Israel. We are not replacing Israel. Israel will be used of God again, and the tribulation time is coming. In no way have we replaced Israel. But may I also help you this morning, and you think about Israel. Think about this, letter A, in spite of God's goodness and love to Israel. She had never returned that love to him. He loved Israel. Man, he gave them the very best. He set them up to be fruitful and to prosper. And in spite of God's goodness and love to Israel, she never returned that love to him. And yet, let her be still in the midst of it. God continued to care for his vine. He continued to bless his vine. He protected his vine. He dressed his vine. He loved his vine. God's goodness when we think about that. And we think about all that Israel went through. I think about what the psalm says, Psalm 73, verse number 1. Truly God is good to Israel. Yet in the midst of all this, God's goodness shines through. And church, there's a word for us here this morning. There's no question that every saved person in this room this morning would have to confess that God has been good to you and in your life. You see, we're not Israel. We're not taking Israel's place, but he came to us. When we were in our miry clay, when we were in a horrible pit, and He took us up out of that pit, and He set us upon a rock, He established our goings. He took a dead man who was dead in his trespasses and sins, and He made me alive and made me a new creature in Jesus Christ. And that's just the beginning. God truly is good to us today. As we look at this passage, And yeah, we could spend all day talking about how bad these religious people were. No, we're going to spend some time just talking about how good the God of the vineyard is. And God was good to his children Israel. And this morning, God is good to us. He takes care of us. He protects us. He's always there. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's building us a home in heaven. Jesus is making intercession today before the Father for us. And look at all the benefits and all the things we get. God is good to us today. And because God is so good, let her see. Since he's good, he deserves to be praised by all living creatures. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, the Bible says. God is good. Hey, in this world, God is good to those that don't even know him. They breathe his air. I know at some point the government's going to try and tax you for the air you breathe. I know it's coming. They tax you for everything else. They're going to start... But it's not their air to tax you for. It's God's air. He lets everyone breathe his air. It's his food, it's his world, it's his everything. And those that deny his name, those that want nothing to do with him, he's still good to them. Think about that for a little bit this morning. He is good. Man, we look at this passage and we see the God, the Lord of the vineyard. He's good. Man, Israel kept messing up, but he still loved them. He protected them. He took care of them. There were times he had to judge them. And part of loving someone is chastening them. It's part of it. But we see, number one this morning, we see God's goodness. Number two, when we see this man in the vineyard, we see God's grace. Look at verse 2 through verse number 8 this morning. The Bible says, And at the season, he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. So the owner of this vineyard sent his servants to the vineyard to collect the goods. That's what would normally happen. And so as he does this, look and see what happens. Oh, and let's go back for a second, sorry. You'll notice that after this The owner of this vineyard, what he did is he set everything up, had them protected. He gave them religious leaders to keep them spiritually set. The husbandmen were God's gift to them. I think that's still true today. God gives us pastors. He gives us evangelists for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. We can go through that whole list. You might feel like sometimes I'm God's burden to you, but the Bible says I'm one of God's gifts to you. So remember that. I might, be your, I might be a burden to some, but you know, anyways. God gave them these religious leaders to help them. So the religious leaders should be helping the people and helping Israel produce fruit. You know, my job as a pastor, and this is a side note this morning, is not to, help, not to get you to build my work. It's my job to get you to be fruitful in the Lord's work for yourself. You for service Not serve I think we understand what I'm trying to say there But that's not how these religious folks did it It's not how many pastors do it today It's about what they can get What they can have but anyways we'll leave that there And we might go a little deeper there in a little bit So we see verse number Three it says So the husbandmen the religious leaders And we talk about them The servants that come are the prophets We mentioned this so look at verse three And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty and he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully. And again he sent another and him they killed and many others beating some and killing some. We look through here and we think about this vineyard. This, this owner does everything possible to make this succeed. Now he sends servants to help get the profits from the vineyard. When he does this, We see that he sends these servants. And how do the farmers or the husbandmen treat these servants? Not very good. We see in verse number 3, the first servant that comes, they beat him. The next one, they stone him and wound him in the head. The next one, they kill. And then the stream of servants that are sent, they're beaten or killed. That's what it says here. Those servants mentioned in this parable are the prophets that God sent. God sent the prophets, and they were there. And this is the thing. You you tell me. You send a servant to someone, and they beat that servant up. You might be like, you know what? I'm not sending another servant. Or you're like, maybe they just had a bad day. I'll send one more servant. So you send the next servant, and the servant gets killed. And like, um, but how long did this go on? God kept sending, and he kept sending, and he kept sending. We see the grace of God. And you look there at verse number 5. It says... Beating some and killing some. They killed them. The last prophet was John the Baptist. He was beheaded. Look at verse 6. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, they will reverence my son. After all, the killing of the prophets after all the servants being sent and stoned, beaten all these things take place what do we see happen? we see the the lord of the vineyard says I'm going to send them my son they, maybe they just won't receive those prophets but they'll receive my son this is my son, this is my well beloved son, this is my one son that I'm going to send them. As we look at this and get closer there, you'll look at verse number 7. It says, but those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. Do you see? They believed that by killing Jesus, they would get Israel. You don't, Jesus is the one saying this. We look and we can say lots of different things. They felt threatened by Jesus and that's why they feared him. They wanted Israel for themselves. They didn't want Jesus to have it. We'll think more on that in a second here. There's a lot there that I want to unpack in just a minute. The religious leaders were entrusted the spiritual well-being of the nation. And yet every time God sent them a messenger, they destroyed that messenger. But God kept sending. If that's not grace, I don't know what grace is. That's why there's songs like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that Saved wretch Like Me. And yes, Israel and the religious leaders... They kept killing those prophets, and they wanted nothing to do with them, and God still sent them, and God, in the midst of all that, sent his son. God's grace was on full display. But may I just remind you today that in the day and age we live, God has given us witness after witness after witness and calling people to himself, yet many will never trust him. We think about today, and when we think about God's grace, we think about the fact, letter A, that God's witness is around us. Open your eyeballs and look around. The heavens declare the glory of God. You look around the world around us, everyone knows that God made it. Everyone does. That's why the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because only a fool would make that statement, because everyone knows. The Bible tells us in Romans 1.20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. No one has an excuse. No one does. Say, but there are people in the middle of nowhere that have never heard the name of Jesus. If God is the God of the Bible that he claims to be, and he's loving and faithful, the Bible makes it clear that every human being that ever steps foot on this planet is given a little light. Everyone is. Not enough light to save you, enough light to spark the curiosity. Everyone knows there's a God. Atheists know there's a God. I challenge you sometime. And be nice. People need you to be not ni- Be nice to people. Uh, but... I've ran into several atheists in my days and I ask one question what did God do to you to make you want to forget him I've got an answer every single time and I could say well if God did that to you then you really do believe there is a God but I don't say that because really if you but this is what most people do Sometimes they think the hurts of their lives can be erased by erasing God. Because God did this to me, or God did that. We blame God for way too much. But no one has the excuse. Because all around us in this world, we see that there's a God. It, now, nature around us and all that doesn't tell us that Jesus Christ is Lord. But nature around us lets us know that God did this. There's a God that did this. Nature teaches us that. Science teaches us that. I don't have a problem with science and things of that nature. You know, what are you going to believe? People believe in a Big Bang theory. People believe in evolution. And we could go through a whole bunch of stuff with all that stuff. It's much simpler to believe that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And everyone knows deep down inside that something created this. That's God's grace, though. How many times has man rejected the Lord? And yet, the heavens are still declaring today the glory of God. He's still working in the hearts of people. We see letter B as we look at God's grace, and we think of God's grace this morning. We see letter B that God's witness is within us. The Bible tells us in Romans 2.14, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, These having not the law are a law unto themselves. And that's talking about that little bit of light that everyone has. That's God's grace. Remember, what did they say? Hey, his, his blood be on our hands. He's not our king. We want nothing to do with him. And yet God's grace is there. Thank God for his grace. Grace, grace, God's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Man, you see what the religious folks thought? This is where people get it all wrong. They thought to themselves that if they believed this guy Jesus, that they were, the vineyard would be gone from them. They wanted the vineyard. They were very insecure. Themselves. A lot of people that have fear and those issues are very insecure people. I mean, there are a lot of insecure politicians. That guy in Canada, he's a very insecure man. I'll tell you that. Look at his actions. He's very insecure. He's worried about some truckers and them driving around. He's very insecure. Insecurity breeds fear. Just a thought there for you. But, anyways, as we look here, I got Louis to say amen. Doesn't say amen to Bible things, but it says amen to that Canada. I'm, it's giving me a hard time, living. The religious leaders wanted everything for themselves. They wanted the wealth, they wanted the prestige, they wanted Israel. But what they failed to understand, what so many people fail to understand today, is that when you get the son, you get everything else. Didn't you see? It doesn't say right there. They said, "He's the heir." He's the heir. That means there's going to be nothing left for us, right? Let us kill him, and that inheritance is ours. But that's not how it works with the Lord. And many people view the Lord that way, but God in his grace says, no, hey, you come to me, and you can become my sons and my daughters. Bible tells us 1 John 3, verse number 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 17, and children, look at this, then heirs. No, it's not you got to get rid of Jesus so you can keep your inheritance. No, when you get Jesus, you become heirs of God. Join heirs with Christ. You see, when you get Jesus, you gain everything. But what these religious folks missed out on is they thought if they gained Jesus, they missed out on everything. And this world sometimes looks at Christianity. They look at the Lord, and they're like, I'm going to miss out. You miss out on nothing when you get Jesus Christ. When you get Jesus, you get everything. That's what's so awesome about it. That's God's grace on display for us. The God of the vineyard this morning, the owner of this vineyard, he is awesome this morning. And he is so good to us, just as he's good to Israel. His grace is overflowing for us, just like his grace was overflowing for Israel. As we come in for a landing this morning, we see number three, we see God's glory. The owner of this vineyard is left with no choice. You look at verse number nine. It says, what shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others. The landowner tried to work with the husbandman. He tried to work with the farmer. He sent his servants. He tried. He's long suffering, he's patient. But they rejected his servants and they rejected his son. The final blow was they rejected the Son of God. And as we look at this, so as we look at the leaders of Israel, they've rejected every attempt that God made to get them back. They rejected the prophets. They rejected Jesus Christ. Jesus was the final messenger. They rejected Jesus, and God said, I'm done with you. By 70 A.D., the temple was completely leveled to the ground. Where's the chief priest today? Is there a chief priest in Israel? Do they have one? No. Why don't they have one? Because the Lord of the vineyard set judgment. Because you reject my son, and I will reject you. How many years did Israel go without even having a home? It's only been in our lifetime in 1948 they actually got they have a place again, which fits in well with biblical history and prophecy. But at the end of the day, God's going to get the glory. Let's think about us for a moment here this morning. What is the great what's the great sin? Now, I hear people say all the time, all sin is is equal. That's not completely true. All sin put Jesus on the cross. But there's only one sin that you can't be forgiven for. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Which if you want to break that down, really is not answering to the conviction of who Jesus is. It's rejecting the Son. You reject Jesus, God rejects you. That's what it comes down to. Now as we close this out, I want you to look at what Jesus, so Jesus says judgment's coming. But then he changes and uses this Old Testament passage. Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23 the Bible says, the stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. you have the next verse for now? In our text, the next verse is verse 11. It says, this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. I love how Jesus uses scripture for this. He takes them there He stops talking about a vineyard And he talks about a building The Jewish leaders looked at Jesus and said You're not fit to be that cornerstone You don't meet the parameters of what we think You're not, You don't have the right credentials You're not who And what did they decide to do? They decided to kill him They hated him because of his holiness, and his words exposed them for who they were. The builders refused the cornerstone. Now, we build houses different today than how they built them back then. But it's true today. Today, you need a good foundation if you're going to have a good house. You know, this building's been around since 1896. There have been a few earthquakes that have passed by, some things... They must have done a pretty good job on the foundation of this building for it still to stand. But in Bible days, there was this cornerstone. This stone that summed up, if this stone was not right, the building would not be built right. If it wasn't squared, level, everything else, your whole house could be messed up. Your whole house could fall. And Christianity... needs Jesus Christ he is the cornerstone our church today better be built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ he is that cornerstone the cornerstone came the religious leaders of Jesus day saw him we don't want it you're not the one but he was the one and they missed it Matthew 21 gives the same parable, but there's one verse that it adds that isn't found in Luke, I mean in Mark where we're at. Look at Matthew 21, verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. <laughs> it's quite a verse right there, isn't it? You see, either you fall onto the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and be broken in conviction and repaired and made new, or he will fall on you and crush you. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The Bible says, those that have not the Son, they are condemned already, and the wrath of God abides on them. This is what it comes down to, and I'm done right here. The religious leaders and those of that day, they refused the cornerstone. The son was sent. They rejected him, and their judgment was coming. The temple was destroyed, and God was done with them. God gave them chance after chance after chance. I'm not here to tell you when your chance ends. That's not my job to figure out. I think Romans chapter 1 makes it clear in a society too that when you keep saying no to God, no to God, no to God, eventually he will give you over to that reprobate mind. When that happens, that's not my call. I don't decide that and I don't know and I'll never preach a message when that time comes. But I do know this, that God keeps trying and he keeps trying and he keeps trying and at some point he's done. And the one thing that matters more than anything in all the world is what you have done with the son you accept the son you fall on that stone you get broken, you get convicted he sets you right and you build your life on that cornerstone, you're going to be alright but if you don't build your life on the cornerstone and have Jesus Christ as the foundation of your life, that cornerstone is going to fall on you someday and grind you up that's what Jesus will do He gets the glory. All those who've denied him, all those who refuse him, someday every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Maybe there's someone in the room this morning or online, you're not saved. I really don't want him to fall on you and grind you up to powder. He's willing to save you. He's willing to make you whole. He's willing to pull you, up, pull you up out of that pit. God's goodness is available to you. God's grace is available to you today. Hey, Christian, this morning, sometimes it does us good. We like to look at all the negatives around us, and there are so many negatives around us. Every day, it seems like there's more and more. And I could have dwelt on all the negatives of the religious folks today, and I, I kind of covered some of it, but I could have stayed there could have just stopped with them. But man, it does us good to think about God's goodness. God is good. Man, he's done so much for us. He's continuing to do this. He's good. Hey, the Lord of the vineyard, he's good. Our God is good today. And though you might be going through it, though, my, though life might not be what you think it should be, God is good today. Thank God for his goodness. God is good.